Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 76 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is July 29th. 2009. We have a really exciting show for you today on the podcast. We're going to talk with Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. We have a lot of questions from you guys out there on the team, so we'll try to get to all of those questions. We're also going to talk a lot of recruiting. Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com recruiting analyst. He's back on the show after a couple weeks off. So we'll talk to him about the Cardinal and Gold Top 30. we got a bunch of questions for him. Of course, if you have any questions or comments, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. And, of course, the first segment, we like a batting leadoff. Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach, thanks for joining us today. Ryan, thank you, buddy. It's always great to be with you and uh, get ready for this uh, college football season. Of course, we're all excited about tomorrow. The Pac-10 Media Day. They uh, listen to all the coaches talk about their teams. They make a prospects uh, to uh, Media Day. So I'll see you there and see all of our other friends there. And we'll all sit down and... See what we think. I always, at the same time, put my poll together, too. I mean, I listen to all the coaches, and I sort of put together what I think is going to happen. It's a lot of fun because we carry that information, at least I do, throughout the year when I listen to what they say tomorrow and then try to put that together of what they might say later on. So it's a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to going. Yeah, it's a fun day, Pac-10 Media Day on Thursday. We'll talk about it, I'm sure, next week on the podcast, what we, what we learned about Pac-10 Media Day, what went on there. Uh, before we get into the show, I just wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or you can give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. They're kind enough to sponsor us for this segment with Coach Harvey Hyde. Concert, sport events, theater, if you have tickets for anything, you can give them a call. And uh, Coach, you don't need tickets tonight. If uh, I know you have a prior engagement, but if you wanted to join us, National Sports Grill in Torrance at 730, we're going to have a little... USCfootball.com get together. It looks good. We should have like 75 to 100 people or so coming out. Uh, former USC assistant quarterback coach Yogi Roth will be there talking about the quarterbacks. We'll have the USCfootball.com staff talking all about the team. We'll talk about recruiting. We got some prizes, a autographed USC football to give away. So sorry, we can't, you can't make it out there for a coach, but uh, anyone else out there, if you want to come, just stop by or drop me an email, ryan at USCfootball.com. And check it out. I know you have a prior engagement, Coach, but hopefully we'll get you next time. No, I really do want to come down. I'll tell you, I've run into a lot of people uh, around, and they're going to be there tonight. And uh, I'm sorry I can't be there, but I look forward to coming down in the near future. The reason I can't be there tonight, obviously, is I'm doing something in the Rose Bowl, as I talked to you about uh, last week. But uh, I really look forward to doing that. I think it's great to get around people and talk football and talk sports. I think it's great. It's a lot of fun. We'll try to do one more before the season starts sometime in the middle of fall camp. So we'll get uh, people out there. We, you know, we'll try that. We've done some of these a couple of years ago, but I haven't done them recently. So it's just a good way to get Trojan fans out there together and uh, talking football. It should be, it should be a lot of fun. Um, Coach, so there's a question from last week that uh, I got a follow-up email. He wanted a little bit more information. Is that all right? We start with that one? Okay. Now, is it our coach that's talking about yes. personnel somewhere in the East? You very Yes, very well. Terry and, uh, Terry and Day wanted to know. Um, the, the question <laughs> he had about uh, nose tackle and defensive tackle, he, he wanted to know specifically, are there different skill sets between the two positions that would make – one player, you know, more suited for nose guard as opposed to defensive tackle. Well, uh, defensive guard, defensive tackle. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's a scheme of the defense. Uh, sometimes it helps you better if you're with a fifty lineup. That's with an odd defense with a nose guard. If he's very quick, you want quick tackles anyway. But you've got to have somebody who's strong and able to get off a block and take care of the gaps on either side of of the center, the right or the left. You've got to have somebody that we use a technique that can, is real quick enough that can get up the gap, too, and, and slip. We used to slip or go under and 
penetrate the line of scrimmage because you want to play defensively on their side of the ball. So I, I would say that uh, not really much of a difference. Uh, a defensive tackle nor- normally can be a strong and good nose guard. Uh, uh, but I would say if the, the one I'd you put there is the one that's the quickest. If you have two defensive tackles and you try to decide which one, if you're going to an odd defense or overshift defense or whatever, the one you want on the nose, I would put the quickest one on the nose to make it a more difficult block for the center. Because remember, the center has to snap the ball and then make a block. So the defensive lineman has an advantage or the defensive nose guard. When you're right on him, as soon as he snaps the ball, he's got to complete his snap. But as soon as there's movement by his hand and you watch his knuckles, as soon as he starts to move his hand, you can go. So you, if, you, if you're going to play on the nose, then I'd put the quickest of my defensive tackles, if you have two equal tackles that are strong and so on, that's the one I'd put on the nose. All right, makes sense, Coach. And uh, thanks for that, Terry. And he also wanted to know what do coaches look for uh, if a player is going to be better suited to be a flanker or a split end? We're talking about the wide receiver positions. Well, uh, what we normally did is, is that we put our bigger receiver at X. We call them X, Y, and Z. Z was the, uh, the flanker. And, uh, and, and the more of our route guy uh, with the tight end side who became our slot guy when we brought him over with the, the flanker, so with the X side. Um, you get more uh, isolation normally towards the X side or the split end side. You get more man coverages, and you got a free safety over there more. Where you have more room to work, more room to run your route, because you've got the strong safety and you've got the corner on the other side, because that's your strong side as far as run support and your tight end that they have to cover. So... We used to put probably uh, our fastest guy, I'm trying to think now, our fa- depending on our routes and so on and what we were doing, our bigger receiver would play on the X side and our quickest receiver would play our fastest receiver on the Z, which is the flanker side. But you run more reverses to the open side of the field, which means coming off of your toss, coming off of your power, you bring your flank around more to the open side than you do the strong side because you can drive off if they're in a man coverage. And it's the same thing as a block. If the guy is covering your X, which is the open side receiver down the field, he has to run with him and go. So you bring your Z around, which is the flanker, and you've got a better reverse. Then if you run your X, which is your flanker on a reverse, back to the strong side. So you probably put your fastest or quickest type of receiver to Z or towards the strong side and your bigger uh, receiver, more route guy uh, to, at X. Uh, you hope they're both fast. Right. Don't get me wrong. You <laughs> want them to both be fast, okay? But, uh, but I would say that's why or how you would uh, position them. All right. That's uh, Football 101 from Terry and Day. So hopefully uh, that answered your question there. Uh, we have a uh, new New person sent in a question. Steve Gonzalez from Lake Tahoe, Nevada. He wanted to know um, with this is about the spread offense and how many receivers are actually eligible. Like, how can you arrange things, um, you know, with the spread offense is to get the the maximum number of receivers out there? I guess it's more of a uh, a rules question more than anything. Well, you still can only have the, the same amount of receivers that are eligible. But what happens, your backs who you uh, are off the line of scrimmage. So you see, you can only have, you know, so many guys on the line of scrimmage that are eligible, and that's your two outside receivers. You, If you move your inside receivers up on the line of scrimmage, they're not eligible. So you can have a slot or you can have an, a tight end back, uh, but you, but you've, and, and a slot up or whatever. But you can't cover up. You can't cover up receivers on the line of scrimmage. Like if you get in trip sets, you've got to have that receiver's got to be back off the line of scrimmage. And if your back goes in motion or if your back is lined up in a slot or uh, if you're in a no-back set, then they've got to be still in the backfield off the line of scrimmage. So uh, 
you can't cover up a receiver because it's very difficult. And the reason for that rule, it's very difficult for a defensive back to figure out who's eligible and who's not eligible. In fact, you see a lot of times uh, receivers coming out, lining up on the line of scrimmage, and just before the ball is snapped, they step back. They step back and get into, and they set for a second off the line of scrimmage, but that makes them eligible. Because, or he stays up and the flank and the and the X or the outside receiver steps back or whatever. But it's they they try to make it where it's equally uh, equal for both sides of the football. If everybody was to to, to play on the line of scrimmage and, and you didn't have back off or there wasn't a rule to see who was eligible, who's not eligible, it'd be very difficult for the secondary to know who's eligible, who's not eligible. So. Uh, you can't. The only side of the ball where you uh, and, and you got to remember on the flanker side, you got the flanker off. You got the tight end on the line of scrimmage. So the end man on the line of scrimmage, the end man on the line of scrimmage, is the only one that can be on the line of scrimmage and be eligible. Everyone else has to be back off the ball. I guess that's the best way to explain it. Okay. So his. I mean, so essentially though, you have your five linemen that are ineligible, and then you have to have right. each side covered up. But you can technically have a quarterback and five receivers, five right. eligible receivers out there, and then the you know the quarterback could toss it to a back or somebody and become an eligible receiver himself. So essentially, there's like six guys that are capable of catching a pass, and five that are no matter what they're ineligible unless the ball was tipped and someone they could catch it at that point. Right by various formations, you can get everybody eligible. You're right. Okay, so he exactly. wanted to know. He was like using the spread. Can you have? He was given an example of maybe having a running back where you pitch to and then a, or pitch back to a lineman and then you no, know like you no. can't yeah you can't the lineman can catch the ball as long as it's tipped already right tipped, that's the only right. way yeah if as long as it's tipped but if it's not tipped he can't catch the ball unless he's the end man on the line of scrimmage and I'm not sure now in college football but I know in the NFL if the tackle is the end man in the line of scrimmage you see it happen all the time on goal lines with uh, play action pass to tackle can be eligible okay. if you're the end man on the line of scrimmage but I'm not sure in college football if you can do that I, I can't I don't remember the rule okay so that's uh thanks Steve from Lake Tahoe yeah there's even if it's a spread offense there's still only you know you still have the maximum number of guys that's that can right. be eligible yeah okay okay this one is from uh Nick from Fairfield, California, and uh, we talked before about some of the guys that didn't, um, you know, that never, that didn't make it, like some of the recruits that just kind of didn't, uh, you know, what, for whatever reason didn't work out on the team. Um, he wanted to talk about some guys that are, like, buried on the depth chart a little bit that maybe you heard about coming in and you haven't really heard too much since. Um, he mentions a few guys here, and, maybe, you know, maybe we can talk about them, Coach. Not, we don't have to go about each guy, but... He wanted to know, you know, are, are a lot of these guys sitting because of injury, or because of work ethic, too many quality players in front of them? And I'll just give you, a, you know, the, the list he was given. Martin Coleman, the offensive lineman, DeJon Harris, Michael Reardon, Brian Bauckham, uh Brandon Carswell, Alex Parsons, Shane Horton, uh, a bunch of different guys there. But, I mean, in general, Coach, you, I mean, when you see a guy that comes in with some hype and they don't play, I mean, I guess there's a lot of different reasons uh, you know, for that to happen. But with so much talent on this team, it seems like usually it's because there's someone that's really good playing in front of them. Yeah, I agree with you. Every one of them that you mentioned seemed to have a different reason, uh, as far as I see it. Yeah. I mean, when, you, when you look at Coleman, Coleman's been injured. I mean, he came in as a high recruit. I mean, he came in and uh, was there for the spring, if I remember correctly, and got injured. And he's been hurt, but he's a, he's a heck of a player, was a heck of a player, and they're expecting him to come back this fall. I think he's finally healthy and compete. So that's been his problem, injuries. And, and it's really been sad that he's, that, he, that he's had that problem, but I think injuries has been the number one problem there. Now in, in Horton, the transfer from UNLV, uh, he transfers to USC, and he comes in as a strong safety and, or safety, and wow. Yeah. I mean, he comes in as <laughs> the number one secondary in America. I mean, I think he's listed on their depth chart or was in the spring as two or three. Uh, that's not bad uh, in, in the secondary at USC. Could get an opportunity at any time. Heck of a player in the Mountain West Conference up there as a freshman. If other plays at, at USC, I think he was almost, I think he was all conference uh, 
uh, at UNLV in the Mountain West Conference and, and decided to come back and play at USC. So he just got to wait his time. Not that he's a bad player. He's just playing in a position where there's a lot of great players, and with Pinkard coming back, that made it even worse for him. Yeah. So, so he just got to wait his opportunity. When his opportunity comes, he'll play. He might play some special teams this year. Haven't seen who they're lining up on special teams. But uh, that's, I would say, his reason. Now, I can't remember all the other names you mentioned. Uh, like uh, maybe a Brandon Carswell, the, the receiver. Um, I mean, now, there's yeah. a lot of depth there, too. Now, I really like Carswell, and he's from Northern California. Uh, and, and I think he is. Isn't he from Northern California? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, he is. And I'm going to tell you, I really liked him as a freshman. I'll tell you, he had great speed, great hands. I predicted him as a starter at one time when I watched him uh, uh, in the fall. Man, he was quick and ran great routes. And this is probably one of the players this gentleman's interested in. And I am surprised he hasn't played. He's got good hands. He ran good routes. He looked to me like he had great speed, but again, he's playing uh, at a position where they have great receivers, and he's just got to wait for his time. But I have to agree. Now, that's one I really don't know why he hasn't played more, because I really think he's got great talent. Uh, maybe about like uh, you can mention something on Alex Parsons or Michael Reardon. Uh, Reardon's out there. Yeah. He's doing a little work at center. I saw him. Uh, playing a little bit yesterday during their summer workout session and stuff. But, you know, it's a, he was a guy that's been injured a little bit himself. Right. Uh, you're talking about Reardon, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Let, let me tell you, he was a great player coming out of uh, Orange Luther. Or, uh, he came out of Orange County. What's the name of that King school? Or, Orange Lutheran, of? yeah. Orange Lutheran. Yeah, Orange Lutheran. A great player. Big, tall kid, tight end, defensive tackle, defensive end. Ripped him up. You know what? I just don't think he's found his position. I think that the number one thing, yes, he's had some injuries, but they, he just hasn't found his niche. Not really big enough to be a defensive end or maybe not quick enough. Tight end-wise, no. I, I, he's got to find, I think they played him as an offensive tackle. At times they gave him a shot there. He just hasn't found his, his position. But I really think he's a quick kid and He's got to. They got to find where he's going to play, and I think that's been his number one problem. Is hasn't he just hasn't excelled at any one position yet? He's been hurt, so we got to give him time, and he's got a couple of years of eligibility and so on. Still, I still think he could surface as a, as a good football player. I really do. But he come, He came in with great credentials. Really did. Yeah, and then uh, Alex Parsons is in, definitely in the mix for playing offensive guard there, and he's he's a guy that's positions moved a little bit, uh, but he's got a good shot. I mean, I think you know there's there could be some some changing of of the guard. I guess you could say. I mean, I think he'll get some playing time at offensive guard. I don't I don't look at him as someone that's been completely buried on the depth chart. No, he hasn't, and he's a part of the number one offensive line in the country. At least that's what a lot of the publications say. And they've got a listed him listed as one, one or two, and at the guard position. And I tell you, there's a lot of competition there, man. I'm telling you, and there's also tackles that can move down inside too. So, you know, I I think that uh, with the competition there, and I think the guy that screwed up everything was a young freshman, Tyrone Smith. I think him coming in and being such a tremendous prospect so early, and it's hard to do that in the offensive line, has made it tough on Lewis and Brown and Parsons and Howell and all of these guys because Tyrone right now is listed as a starter, and and that's really before his time. He's a sophomore, going to be a starter, so he's made it tough on these other guys like Parsons and these other guys who are trying to find that. Sparting, uh, starting spot, so I, I think Parsons will play a lot of football this year. How much? Uh, man, it depends on who gets hurt, who doesn't get hurt in the competition in fall camp. All right, well, uh, and one follow-up to that, Coach. I mean, I agree with you 100%. We'll see, but Parsons, I think, is kind of different from that whole group, and, and Carswell's got a good shot as well, but uh, DJ Shoemate, do you think he's going to stay uh, at fullback, or, or do you think that's only temporary? We just put up a piece on uscfootball.com about him last night, so you can see a video interview with him talking about it. But he seems pretty happy playing fullback. Well, I tell you, you got to be happy being anywhere at number two. 
yeah. at USC. Because if Havili gets hurt, all of a sudden you're number one. And you've got a chance. And, you know, he's a great athlete. And and he's been – it's been difficult to find a spot for him. You know, he could be a receiver. He could be a lot of different positions. You know, he could be a running back even. A lot of universities, he'd be a great running back. He's got great speed, good size. He's going to be a good receiver. You know, and SC uses their fullback as, as a receiver many, many times. You've seen him really make great pass catches. They flank him out and throw the ball to him. So he's a good combination of all of that. Got to be a blocker, too. And I think they'll take – They'll keep Shoemake right where he is. I think he's a great backup. Uh, I think that gives him a lot of strength at the fullback position in case something happens to Avili. And uh, I think he'll stay there. And it's just been one of those things. Where does he play? And I think they found a spot for him here. All right, Nick. Uh, thanks for that question. Hopefully, you can send him some more. Uh, we've got a bunch of them, Coach. Sorry, we got to get to him. We'll try and get to him all. Philip Tran, uh, his first question to the Paracel podcast he uh didn't know much about the new offensive coordinator uh, I think he was talking about the quarterback coach Jeremy Bates but he'll be calling the plays but he liked the way the Broncos offense looked last year but he wanted to know what do you think the main difference is between Bates's offensive style and uh and Steve Sarkeesian well you know um I don't know if the style of the offense will change, but it's Pete Carroll's offense. I, I, I didn't see any change in the offense, the formation of the plays, or anything in the spring. The only difference I saw in the spring was someone working with the quarterback full-time that was a quarterback coach, which I haven't seen in the past. I saw, the, I saw actually the quarterbacks getting coached daily, every day in drills and so on. I saw them run more probably or attempt to run more draws and screens in the scrimmages uh, than I've ever seen before uh, in a spring uh, situation. I hope they carry that out in the fall. Uh, uh, Those plays take a lot of timing, and they take a lot of work, especially the screens and the draws as far as coordinating all that together with the backs and the offensive line on coming out or how long to block their, their linemen and so on. So I'd like to see that continue. I think probably... The biggest difference between Sarkeesian and Bates is their personalities. Sarkeesian was more of a quiet guy and anticipated or expected you to learn a lot on your own. Uh, Bates is more in your face. Bates is more as uh, the way I understand it from who I talk to. Uh, he communicates uh, with you as a player. Players like him, not that they dislike Sarkeesian, but they seem to hang out more in his office, and they like to you know, discuss certain things and, and ask questions. Uh, as far as his play calling, the rhythm, which is important in play calling, I can't predict that yet. Because sometimes in the spring you're not in a game situation, you're going against your own defense, and you're not trying to game plan. Uh, I'll be very interested to watch that as well as everyone else out there and how the play calling goes in a game situation, and I'll be happy then to give you my opinion. I'll tell you, and, and, and if you guys listen to me not only here, but if you listen to me on the pregame show or Trojan Brunch on Sunday mornings on ESPN, in L.A., I tell you the way I see it. I mean, I don't try to be a homer. I don't try to any way, you know, sugarcoat anything. And then when something's great, I'll tell you it's great. When something's not too great, I just simply say, why? Why did they do that? So um, that's but all I can say now. And I'm not going to try to make up any more, but there's nothing more to say. That's all we know. Yeah, that's the big $64,000 question, Coach, is what's the offense going to look like? And uh I, the, one of the things I've been saying is I think this team, you know, talent, you can say about talent, whatever, but I think you're going to see a little bit different from the coaches. I, I like the, the way Franklin's come in. I like the way Bates has come in. I like the way Schneider's come in. I think you're going to see kind of an improvement uh, from, you know, some of the different position coaches that have come in. And, you know, we got to wait and see. But uh, thanks, Philip, for the question on that one. Um, I guess maybe the most interesting email we've ever got, Coach, and I have to, the, it's a really long, <laughs> it's a really long email, so I can't share the whole thing but he had a couple questions his name is david and 
He said he's been listening for eight weeks, and uh, it was he was really praising the show. He really loves it now that he found it. Uh, he can't wait for Wednesdays to come, and uh, you know, even in April, he just really enjoyed hearing about the team, what was going on. He thinks you're a great opening act, and he he even loves the dog, you know, coming in there and joining the show every once in a while. Um, he loves Dan's banter in the number two hole. Like he likes the way that Dan and I kind of go back and forth sometimes, and thinks we're better than the guys he listens to on local radio. And um, you know, he feels that he's getting a bunch of information from us, and you know, that's what we're trying to do. And that we're always trying to get better. And I think we definitely try to do that. So thanks for the the kind words, David. And uh, but he wanted to know first up, Coach. He talks about well, where we watch games. Where do where does everybody watch the games from? When you know, the people in the media, and I guess for you specifically. Well, what do I watch the game, or how do yeah. I watch the game? Yeah, you end up watching the game in in the the press box, right? Well, sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. I, I don't like to go to the press box because I'm 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 distracted. What I mean by that, first of all, uh, people are talking to me all the time or asking me questions, and and nothing against that. Don't get me wrong, but I like to focus on a game, and you get in the rhythm of a game. I'm still like a coach which means I, I want to know down-distance situations. Immediately I'm looking at coverages, looking at what teams are doing to the offense and defense, how to attack it, what to do, down-distance situations. Did you run the ball, pass the ball? Uh, do you have formation tendencies right off the bat that you can locate and so on? And you can't do that. Sitting in the press box, eating a hot dog. <laughs> I, never, I never, never ate a hot dog when I was coaching. I can't eat a hot dog now, okay? I like to have a pencil in my hand, a pen in my hand, a pad in my hand, because I really feel I have a responsibility of reporting what I see the next morning on ESPN when we do our Trojan Brunch show. And when people call in or the other co-hosts ask me questions or we're talking about things, I want to I know what they're talking about. I don't want to say, oh, I missed that play. I want to really know what the situation was and if that was a good call or a bad call. I even go far as far back as the Stanford game a few years ago when they ran on fourth down and when they for the touchdown before half and they ran behind their freshman guard who was in the game and instead of running behind Baker. And I said, Why wouldn't it be if you're you're trying to get why wouldn't you run against a run behind Baker and your other side when you run against a freshman who's got his first start? So I like to – now, don't get me wrong. I'm not get, trying to get negative back to that game. But I can't concentrate and be able to answer questions like that if I'm in the press box. I can't really if I'm in the crowd. So what I try to do is find myself a spot where I have my own television, sit there, and have my pad and watch the game. And don't be disturbed. And, and sometimes, you know, people might – want to talk to me, but I really don't want to talk to him. And, and, and I can't watch it sometimes watching the field because they don't get replay. Uh, and, and, and sometimes they don't give you replay. Like the broadcasters, and I want everybody to know, these broadcasters that are in the booth have monitors in front of them. They have people telling them, spotters, and everything else so that they can't see everything people are telling them, who made the tackle or who did this and they see the replay so they can comment on them. So if I'm going to do that, i got to have the same advantage the next day. So I try to, and I've probably never told anybody this before, but I like to sit somewhere where there's a television and watch it by myself huh. or my dog. Or if <laughs> my dog was with me, we would discuss it. Then you could discuss Brady it. comes up with good questions, That's okay? <laughs> good. So, yeah. I'm just telling you the truth, Ryan, that that's what I do. If I can do it there at the game and I'm organized, I can do it. If not, I'll go somewhere where I can do it, even across the street from the Coliseum and watch it in, <laughs> in a restaurant or something. <laughs> and sit at a booth. You think I'm kidding you? No, no, that's, that makes a, sense. Sit in a booth there with my table with a cup of coffee and I'll watch it. Yet oh. I have press box passes and everything. Because I have a responsibility to be able to talk about it the next day. And I can't talk about it if, I, if I'm in the press box doing these other things and socializing. The press box basically is socializing. And I don't have time to socialize if I've got to do 
my things I have to do and I have a responsibility. So that's basically my answer. That makes sense, coach. And, uh, and, and David, just to follow up, uh, for me, I'm usually on the field because I'll shoot video and we can put up some video highlights and do video interviews. So I'm usually on the field with a camera, not the best place to watch a game. Um, and, it, you know, I end up missing stuff just because you're following the ball and filming. Uh, Dan Wykey's usually in the press box, but if, if someone else is filming or whatever and he can't work the press box, I'll, I'll be in the press box sometimes. just depends on uh, what's going on there. Um, he, and let, let me answer this okay. one more way, okay? Sure. I know this. I know that Pete Carroll, before he leaves to go home, gets an edited copy of the same game, the television broadcast, with all the commercials, everything cut out, that he goes home and watches before he goes to bed. Why? He wants to see it as we saw it, number one. He wants to hear what the broadcaster said and see the replays sleep on it and know exactly so he can talk about the game and get the feel of what other people's thoughts are. I know this because I know the video people. And I don't think I'm telling anything that I'm not supposed to tell the public. But he takes an edited version of it, you know, home, where he can watch it in half the time, and watches it and sees the same things as we see and listens to the same comments so that he knows what we think of it, and he compares that. I think that's something that's unique, and I think it's great that he does that. Yeah, that's really interesting, not even thinking about, you know, if, if he sees something and the crowd, you know, the, the fans on TV see something else, it's a really good idea for him to check out and see, oh, wow, I can't believe it was presented like this. That's a really interesting point, Coach. Uh, well, um, David, I have one more thing. What do you think the chances of Alan Bradford lining up at linebacker are since he was such a stud linebacker in high school and there's depth at the position at running back, but not really at linebacker. Any shot of that? Well, you know, he's a great athlete, man. Who was it? Who was it? That was asked, uh, was it Mike Bellotti that was asked about a month ago, who's the greatest athlete you ever recruited? And he said, Sam Bradford, Alan Bradford. Yeah. Did you see that? Alan Bradford. Uh, Alan Bradford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excuse me, Sam Bradford. I didn't see that, but that, that that would make sense. He's a stud. Yeah, yeah. No, really. And uh, uh, yeah, he could play a linebacker. He really could. He could play a lot of places. And he's the same guy. There are some others that come in with great credentials and can play, but he's been nicked and bruised and so on, and never been a hundred percent, and got reps as a running back to prove just how good he is. If you remember last year, I can't remember what game he was. it was, got in the game and ran two or three plays in a row and looked great and scored a touchdown. Uh, he's a great athlete, and he's just got to get his turn or chance to play, and he's had that same problem Coleman has and other people have had. You know, when you're around great talent, you can't get hurt or you get lost in the mix. And, and he's a guy that has sort of got lost in the mix with great talent as a running back and great linebackers that have been there and so on. Uh, he's a player. And I, I really like to see him get an opportunity to, to, to play in a rig. But who do you take out? I mean, I mean, if he, was, if he was truly number one the whole time and he didn't come out of the game, he would prove to be a great player. That's the best way to say it, as others would be, too, as far as the running back situation. And one thing I want to look at this year, and that's part of Jeremy and everybody else in the offensive staff, is how are they going to handle the offensive backs this year? Joe McKnight missed all spring. How is he going to be used? Who's going to be your running back? Who's going to be? You remember when Reggie was there, it was Reggie Lindell. Bam, bam. No question. Yeah, no question. Thunder and lightning. But we haven't seen that, and we could. We need to develop. I say we, USC, needs to develop that again. Thunder and lightning. Thunder and lightning. Not clouds, rain, <laughs> hail, you know, and something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then no. throw it. There. It needs. To, we. Everyone doesn't get an equal shot always, and sometimes. It's bad, too bad. But I'd like to see it get down to 
one or two players. All right. Well, David, thank you for the uh, questions and the great, the nice comments. I wish I could read the whole email, but it was uh, it was very glowing and uh, made me feel good. So I'm glad, you know, Coach. Hope you feel good about it. I think we're we're making a difference for the Trojan fans out there. Hopefully, you guys are all enjoying the show. Well, I hope so. And I'll tell you what, it seems as though we're getting more questions every week. And that's good because uh, it uh, means that people out there are listening. And, you know, if we can answer questions for you, remember, it's only our opinion. Uh, Everyone has an opinion. And when you ask us, all we do is tell you the truth. Don't try to sugarcoat it. So don't go away mad. Right. (laughs) uh, If if we didn't agree with you, but it's fun to have you listening. All right, one last one, Coach, before we go. I know we're going a little bit long, but uh, this is from Walter. He wanted to know on the, from this team, who do you think, it's a little premature for this, but who do you think uh, will leave early after the 2009 season? Is there any, uh, any names that pop out at you, Coach, that you think have a, a good shot at leaving? Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote a few down. I like, haven't I mean, got could, to that yet. You know, I, mean, I, ha- I really haven't. Uh, we haven't seen the season, but, you know, like guys that have a possibility. I just look for juniors. You know, Joe McKnight, C.J. Gable, Alan Bradford, all of them, you know, have a lot of talent. You know, Gable thought about it before. McKnight's got all the talent in the world. If Bradford feels he was No, he's low. not going to come out early. Yeah. Uh, but Damian Williams and Ronald Johnson, both are juniors. I mean, they'll be the number one and number two receivers on this team. Um I don't think they'll come out early. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, just look guys that would have a shot. And then on defense, the, the guys I thought of, maybe uh, a Sharice Wright, who's just a lockdown cover corner, or maybe an Everson Griffin. Um, but, you know, I, I think all of those guys are possible, but I, I don't think they're probable at all, just because I think they, you know, not, they haven't really had a chance to get it. I don't think they are because they don't have the playing experience yet. Yeah. And, and they really haven't blossomed to their full potential. And I think they want to come out. If you come out early, you're coming out early because you can't do any more in college football. That's the way I look at it. You've got to say, okay, I don't want to go back and try to repeat last season because I don't know if I can do that. My stock will go down. Obviously, Sanchez felt as though, wow, we went 12-1 and at a great Rose Bowl game. Uh, other guys aren't coming out. I, if I go back and, and don't have quite as good a year and Bradford and, and Tebow and McCoy does, has a great year. My stock's going to go down. And obviously, he did the right thing. Yeah, worked out. Some million dollars. You know what I mean? I was against him doing it, obviously. But, you know, you don't come out just to come out. Or, you know, we've had players that have done that at SC. Come out and you've never heard from them again. Big players. But they weren't ready. So, um, now I, don't, I don't think there's anyone right now at the beginning of the season that I could say that about. That who is definitely going to come out or anything. Yeah, it would have to be something like a McKnight gets, you know, 20 carries a game and, you know, runs for 1,500 yards or something. And then, but that isn't going to happen. Yeah, I know. But, that, like, something like that happened. But it's it's really hard to tell right now. But, uh, yeah, it'll be, we'll, we'll talk about it throughout the season, too, if there's people that we see blossoming that want to take off. But thanks, Walter, for that question. And thanks, everybody, for the questions. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. And thank you, Coach. I know we went a little long, but thanks for uh, spending a little extra time and answering the uh, the questions out there. I think everybody enjoyed it. Well, thank you very much, Ryan, and thank, for, uh, thank everybody out there for calling. And uh, we'll line up and uh, break the huddle again next week. Certainly. We'll talk to you again next week, Coach. We're having a really short break. We're going to talk with Gerard Martinez all about USC football recruiting. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to be talking some recruiting in this segment. We have on the line Gerard Martinez, uscfootball.com, recruiting analyst. How you doing, Gerard? I'm doing great, man. I'm looking forward to tonight's uh, uscfootball.com dinner extravaganza, and uh, I'm pumped up. 
Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Uh, Torrance, everyone, you come on out at uh, 7.30 tonight. It's Wednesday, July 29th. Torrance at the National Sports Grill. We'll be all out there. The whole uscfootball.com staff answering your questions. We'll have uh, prizes. We'll have dinner. It'll be, it'll, be, it'll be a fun time, and Gerard will be answering questions similar to what we do on the podcast, which, which you love to do, right, Gerard? Yeah, we got a lot of questions, so i got to get started on them early. All right, yeah. So uh, lots of recruiting questions, especially this time of year. I'll know why. Just people just love sending in their recruiting questions. But before we get to that, uh, I wanted to bring up a piece that you put up on uscfootball.com yesterday on Tuesday, Gerard, the uh, Cardinal and Gold uh, Top 30. So these are the uh, top 30 prospects in California in your eyes. And you got some you know familiar names up at the top of that list. Um you know, Ronald Powell, I think everybody has him as one of the top players in the country. No surprise there. Uh, Robert Woods, the uh, he's, a, he's a five-star uh, athlete out of uh, Junipero Serra High School in Gardena. Everyone has him high on the list. Dylan Baxter is a guy that everyone's pretty high on. Uh, but what, what are some of the guys, Gerard, that are, that are on your list fairly high that you think are maybe underrated on a national basis? Well, Rivals.com has their rankings, and, um, you know, they see certain things their way, and we see certain things our way. So it's a little bit of a, you know, a, a line in the sand, if you will, kind of differentiating, you know, our opinions from Rivals' opinions. And so we put out, you know, our California top 30 or C&G top 30, and it's always, you know, from what we see, we see a lot. I, know, I think we, you know, get to see these kids a lot more than the national guys do. So, you know, there's players like Dietrich Riley who – really I think is is overlooked by the national guys. I don't know why, to be honest with you, because he's been to some camps. He's performed very well at camps. I mean, he went down to the National Underclassman Combine in San Antonio in January and was stellar there playing safety and, and thinking these drills when you're at camps. Playing defensive back, you're always at a disadvantage. You're playing in space. It's one-on-one. The receiver can run anywhere he wants, any kind of route he wants. And he was excellent. And this is a guy who doesn't really play a lot of defensive back in high school, uh, but he's six foot, 200 pounds, runs a, a four-five-six, four-five-seven electronic, um, and he's really smart. He has a lot of intangibles. He reminds me a little bit of Kevin Ellison in that way, in that you know, kind of away from the field as a as a person just as a leader, just kind of those things that, you know, you don't necessarily put down on a piece of paper or not in the database that you can you can talk about tangibly. Uh, he has those other things that you really want in the defensive back that you want in the defensive player. He also plays running back, a very good running back, but I think his future is definitely a defensive back just with his aggressiveness and his instincts. And so he's a guy we have fifth in the entire state, and Rivals.com has him in the top 250, but actually dropped him a little bit in the last rankings, which just shocked me because he has been good stars camp uh, just everywhere we've seen him he's been an excellent defensive back and so at least as a DB I mean I think he's definitely a 100 level guy and for our rankings he's top five in the state so that was one guy that I think had you know a significant difference in the national rankings compared to our rankings um, Anthony Barr kind of the other end of the spectrum was I think down a little bit from what a lot of the national people think um, we've seen him play game wise um, but didn't really show up to any camps he's been a little bit of an enigma he's Six four two thirty is a running back. He's a great looking prospect off the hoof, but in terms of what position he's going to play next year and how he fits in that position projection wise, it's kind of difficult to figure that out. It's tough to say that he's going to be a running back in college at that height. Six four is high, and you're going to get chopped down like a big oak tree uh, going against a lot of these defenses, and you're going to take a lot of bad hits. And so you start to look and go, well, can he play linebacker? I mean, I've heard that Notre Dame is starting to recruit him as a defensive end now. You know, seeing him on tape and what he does in high school, it's really hard to project that because instinct-wise, awareness-wise, aggressiveness-wise, he hasn't necessarily displayed a lot of those things that you would want to see in a linebacker or a defensive end. So, you know, some guys, they may have the look of a great linebacker, defensive end, safety, et cetera, but can they actually play that position? Do they actually have results at that position? Um, you know, DJ Schumate would probably be a good example of a guy that in high school – you know, people had questions. Where's he going to play? He plays receiver in high school, but he's not, you know, is he really going to be a receiver in college? We didn't think so. And But the thing was, it's like, well, could he play linebacker? USC needs linebackers. 
No, because just mentality-wise, he's just not a defensive player, just like some guys are not offensive players. So I think on Anthony Barr, you know, people got to figure that out. They just fall in love with the frame and just how big he is. Uh, but whether he really can, you know, project at another position in college and be successful, that's a whole other question. So those are kind of two guys that were at the top of the list that, that got ranked pretty high um, that, you know, kind of for different reasons, you know, Barr being a little lower on our list than rivals list, uh, obviously Dietrich Riley being a lot higher. All right, cool. So everyone check that out, uscfootball.com. It was up on a Tuesday, still up on the front page. Uh, you can see that up there, uh, the Cardinal and Gold Top 30. Gerard's really good at putting up features like that. You know, lots of different features, so just kind of like give you a different way to look at recruiting, and there's, there's so many ways you can look at it, and I think uh, a lot of people respect Gerard's opinion, so definitely check that out. Uh, you want to you answer some questions, Gerard? Let's, let's get the questions going. Let's yeah. get them rolling before... The, tonight, we'll, we'll just it'll just be a constant. It'll just be constant more Norway questions. until they, uh, I guess, kick us out of the National Sports Grill, right? We'll buy you a few drinks, and they'll they'll you'll answer some more questions afterwards. So that'll be good. Um, better, not, better not be alcohol. I don't know. <laughs> cream questions and alcohol may not mix. They're probably not so good. Okay, first one's a little bit long, so I'll give you a break from talking. Uh, Manny from uh, out your way in Rancho Cucamonga. So he says he's a big fan of the show. He's been listening for about a year. Thank you for doing that. Uh, Manny, he likes uh, what the guests provide and all the the insights for Trojan fans. So we definitely appreciate the uh, compliments. We keep trying to get better at doing this. Uh, he had a recruiting question about uh, Lake Seastrunk. He's the number two overall player um, on Rivals.com. He's a running back out of Texas. I think a lot of, we've talked about him several times on the podcast before. Uh, USC already has a bunch of running back commits, and uh, right now Coach Carroll has his stable of running backs and. You know, he likes to use those different complimentary runners. And even the guys that are committed right now, you have DJ Morgan, who's really fast, kind of a home run threat. Dylan Baxter is really a talented receiver. And you got like Trajan Briggs, who's a physical back. Um, you know, so he was saying about recruiting C-Strunk, Texas backed off. University of Texas backed off a little bit. But there's, there's a lot of uh, great running backs in the state of Texas for next recruiting class. These are sophomores going to be juniors, the class of 2011. Do you think that USC could make a strong push at some of those guys like uh, Aaron Green, who's a 2011 phenom in Texas, or would you you know, really try to focus in now and try to get Seastrunk uh, and add him to that group when in the past, if you've had too many backs in one class, it's kind of created a log jam and you've had you know, mixed results with players transferring <coughs> excuse me, and stuff like that. It hasn't really deterred USC in the past. I mean, I, I think that they kind of have to take the philosophy, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. And what Texas does, I mean, Texas is probably the worst team to compare or to look at, you know, how they recruit as to how anybody else should recruit because they do some crazy stuff. So I think that uh, with they're, USC, they're, I mean, if they – Their whole class is like locked up, you like, know, already, right? I mean, they, they usually lock up their class way early. And that's the thing that kind of changes how – they go after guys late, and I think that um, it's it's the you know how they project guys, and I mean you know Christian Michaels was a kid last year who was a ended up I think being a five star guy. He was an Army All American, great running back out of the state of Texas, and Texas never really recruited him, and nobody really knows why. Even to this point, you, know, you kind of go, why didn't Texas recruit him? Who do they have on the roster that's so much better that they you know that they feel like they needed to just kind of go away from that and wait to this year? Maybe it was Seastrunk. Maybe they thought, you know what, my, you know, Christian Michaels is, is a good back, but we want to get Seastrunk next year, so let's wait for him. Well, now they're in that situation with Seastrunk, and they've backed off of Seastrunk because Seastrunk's not going to Texas anyways. And so, you know, now they're going to wait for Aaron Green. Well, like I said, sometimes with recruiting, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. And I think with USC, they feel like they have a good shot at Seastrunk and can get them, and, you know, Auburn is to definitely make a big push on them, and you're going to have LSU there. I keep talking about LSU. They'll be there at the end as well. Um, you know, if, they, if SC, though, feels like they have a good shot at them, they're going to go after them, and they don't, it doesn't really matter. The best player is the best player, and that's always kind of been Pete Carroll's philosophy. Um, if you can get them in January and the guy is a good player, he's a difference maker for you, um, they're going to go after him, full court press. So, yeah, definitely. All right, makes sense. Uh, thanks, Manny, for that question. Uh, here's one from Philip. He actually, Philip Tranny asked a question earlier in the podcast, but this was a recruiting one. It's kind of interesting. Uh, who would you take, Gerard, in your expert opinion, last year's uh, top middle linebacker, Manti Teo, or this year's top little middle linebacker, Jeff Luke? Thanks, and I oh. really enjoy your show, he said. That's, that's 
That's a pretty good question. Um, the guy who's not committed to Notre Dame and signed with Notre Dame. Um, <laughs> no, uh, uh, I, I mean, you do, honestly, objectively, uh, I'd probably take tail. Um, I think that USC's cover two, the way that they use their middle linebacker in coverage, Manti Tail is a better, better coverage linebacker. I think he probably would fit in for what they like to do more uh, at middle linebacker. And I think that versatility-wise, he'd probably be able to play outside maybe a little better than Luke as well. So I'd have to go with Manti Tail. Now, having said that, I would probably take Vontez Perfect over all of them. So, um, you know. <laughs> not necessarily I, people probably want to hear because USC missed out on those two guys last year but uh, those guys are really talented and in terms of being overall uh, linebackers being able to do some great things on the run but also being able to drop back into coverage and make plays I think KO and Burfick were, were pretty phenomenal I mean last year was a really good year for linebackers and um, you know unfortunately it didn't work out for USC they're going to go after Luke and uh, you know they have an okay shot at Luke we'll see how that develops you know throughout the season a lot of people feel like it's a long shot for him to leave Florida and you know I, I can see that too until he actually comes out and officially visits USC and sees USC in person and takes the flight out here and has the flight all the way back home to Florida you really don't know you know what kind of chance that they have at him all right well thanks Philip for that question um here's a few questions from Kevin uh first up there's he lists a few defensive ends if UFC has a chance with uh Ronald Powell Jackson Jeffcoat and the third guy I'm not even gonna try to butcher his name yeah I think you know who I'm talking about but uh you, maybe you can take a shot at it you, you, you think I know who you're talking about oh uh, uh, <laughs> is yeah it's like O W A M A G B E, and then is we just we'll just call him Owa Owa, Owa. for short Owa Itigizwa or what that's yeah. how you pronounce his last it's... name. I'm not looking at it right now, but yeah, um, yeah Owa and Ron Powell, Jackson Jeffco. USC has good shot at Ron Powell, and they have a good shot at Jackson Jeffco. Um, I think Owa at this point, from what I hear, he's leaning hard towards Cal. And that's probably going to be a difficult one to get. Um, so I, I think that uh, Powell and Jeff Coat are definitely doable. Um, Jeff Coat had a great camp out at USC for Rising Stars, and I think that uh, his dad's relationship with Ken Norton and, and just, you know, kind of the feeling with USC, uh, he's serious about USC. Um, Oklahoma is going to be there as well. Texas is, is definitely trying to get in and, and get a shot at him. So definitely three schools still, you know, in his top five or seven, as, as he'll say. Uh, but USC is a good shot there. And Powell being a local guy and, and being a guy that's kind of grown up around USC a little bit, um, you know, they definitely have a good shot at him too. He was recently at Florida Friday night's camp and dominated that camp just like he's dominated every other camp. He played three different positions and was great at each. Um, but USC, you know, they're, they're going to be out hard out after him and he's definitely one of the top guys uh on the board he's the number one guy in the state according to us and and according to rivals and so um i think that uh you know he's a guy that that they've got to they got to recruit him as hard as they recruited anybody knowing that you know florida wants to make a statement by recruiting a guy like ronald powell they want to be able to come into california and grab a top player the way us he's been able to do that nationally um you you know florida national champs and, and have done some great things this decade here uh and they've put together some great teams but recruiting wise they're still not necessarily known as the national recruiting standard quite like usc is and so you know i think that um a lot of these schools they're, they're trying to come out here and they're trying to make a little bit of an impact and i think it also maybe puts usc on their heels a little bit you know you don't be so concerned about going across country to florida because you've got to defend your own ter territory now and i think mean, florida's trying to you know kind of trying to do that a little bit for to usc all right uh let's go to the interior defensive line can uh usc what maybe the top two guys which there's four guys he listed here do you think usc could get two of them george uko uh ricky Hamilui, uh richard ash and cassius marsh do you think usc could get a couple of those guys Two out of four, yeah, there's a chance. I mean, when you say chance, it's such an ambiguous word. I mean, it could be a 2% chance. It's a chance. Um, they have a chance, a good chance of getting two out of three. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the wild card there is going to be Richard Ash. Richard Ash talks the talk and, you know, has USC as his leader now. And, um, you know, he's been kind of a little bit outspoken a little bit about how much he likes USC. And but that's par for the course for a lot of Florida kids, and and some kids just in general Southeast. Sometimes at this point in recruiting, they they talk a lot about schools they like and who's number one, and because they're kind of uh, 
they're they're infatuated. There's this there's this idea of going to the school that's in their head, and they and they just like the thought of it. But actually doing it, you know, actually living across the country and leaving home and leaving your family is a whole different thing, and that takes some serious thought. And it, and I don't know that Richard Ash has necessarily given that serious thought yet. So he would be the guy if he if he's you know legitimate in his interest and really likes USC and feels like he's a good fit at USC, you know, that would be the guy that they would be able to get. And I think Ricky Himalui is the other guy that definitely uh, would be up there. You know, Cassius Marcy would have a shot at him, but he's all over the place with, with his, you know, favorites and who he's committing to and who he's not committing to. Um, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with him at the end. It could be a coin flip on signing day. Uh, George Uko is kind of a UCLA lean, Oregon lean. Um, I think that uh, – you know, USC is definitely going to have a fighting chance there towards the end, but at this point, it looks like he's leaning away from USC. All right. Richard Ash was the guy that was putting his MySpace update as USC bound, right? Yes, but yes. that was in the war room, and we're not supposed to discuss war Ooh, room We're not stuff. going to talk about that stuff. Okay. Um, I think we might have talked about it on the podcast last week. I did mention it. Um, and if they, sometimes names come up, we try to explain you know, who these people are. If you, they're unfamiliar, a lot of times they're big-name recruits, but if you're not following recruiting, you know, definitely you can go to uscfootball.com, type in anybody's name, you can look them up. Pretty easy. And, you know, we, Gerard puts a lot of lists out there. Look at the target list, defensive target list, offensive target list. You should be able to find these guys fairly easily. Um, so those were defensive ends and defensive tackles we're talking about. Uh, the last part of Kevin's question was he felt that USC only has a few rides left, maybe eight or so. And we can kind of dispute that. I mean, it, it, it's definitely not a set number. But do you think USC will have enough scholarships to address all of the needs at like defensive line, offensive line, corner linebacker, wide receiver, safety, stuff like that. Enough scholarships is probably not the issue so much as the targets available. Um, because you're talking about a standard, you know, you, you can get bodies at a position and they're just bodies. You want to get guys that are able to play to the level that you've come accustomed to in recruiting. And I think that may be more of an issue uh, with some of these positions than just, you know, do we have enough scholarships? I think offensive line is a position that there's just not a lot of top targets out there. And USC's being very picky, and they're slow playing, and they're kind of waiting on some guys. And, you know, nationally, I know that they got some guys high on the board, but whether they're able to get those guys or not, that's another question. So it's not necessarily about scholarship offers so much as, you know, who can we get? Who can we legitimately have? And are these guys going to be guys that are going to be able to contribute to our team later down the line? So I think offensive line is going to be an issue in, in that, you know, specific way. You know, the USC just lost uh, Jake Matthews to Texas A&M. Um, Jake Matthews is uh, the nephew of Bruce, or excuse me, of Clay Matthews, the son of Bruce Matthews, um, that, uh, you know, now Bruce is actually coaching with the Dallas Texans. And he's, he's a Texas kid, but obviously a lot of ties to USC because his dad and his, his uncle went to USC and, and USC unfortunately lost out to him, not because of anything really USC could do. I mean, he's just a country kid. He didn't really like, I think, Los Angeles and, and didn't really feel like Los Angeles would be a, place, be a place that he wants to live. And so, you know, it was just kind of a personal choice for him. His brother's at Texas A&M, and like I said, he lives there, so he's going to be close to home. Uh, but that affects the offensive line, obviously, the targets that are available that USC is able to recruit. Um, linebacker might be a position as well that becomes very intriguing because you have a lot of these top linebackers that seem like they want to wait until the end of the year. So, you know, it's kind of that position specifically is going to kind of be maybe a little bit like last year, just in that there's going to be some drama at the end. It's, you know, who's committing where and, and, and who's, you know, who do they have a good shot at, who's slipping away. Um, you know, and, and the thing is it's a, it's a pool of only a few guys. We're only talking about four or five guys here that are the top guys that USC really, really wants. And then after that, and those guys are taken, or all of a sudden you feel like those guys, eh, maybe they're slipping away, and then you kind of have to start looking down at the list a little more. And, again, it's not about scholarship offers. You know, we've got the scholarship offers. It's about, you know, who do we really feel like can come in and contribute? And the one thing USC has gotten away from in the last couple years, uh, last year really specifically, was just throwing out rides at the end of the year just to throw out rides. You know, we just need a guy. We have an extra scholarship. Let's just give it to somebody. They got away from that because they burned them. They got guys like Alfred Rowe who just never really contributed and, and weren't able to stay in school, and it just became a pain in the butt at the end of the day. You know, So Trey Henderson's another guy that kind of got a late ride. He never ended up playing for USC. Um, so they got away from that. So it's not going to be guys that you know are bodies and, hey, you know, he, he plays football and you know he's a local guy. Let's give him a scholarship. They're not going to do that. Yeah, and that, we talked about that last week on the podcast when uh, 
you're on your look. I don't know where were you in Maui or something on your vacation, but uh, no, we thought. <laughs> yeah. Like all looking at, we just looked back at the different classes, and the, I think it was 2006 was the one where they actually signed 26 kids, and eight or nine of them are no longer on the team. Where the years where they signed 18, 19, maybe two or three wouldn't be on the team. So it just seemed to be less of a headache signing that fewer number as opposed to you know the the big numbers where there's a lot more risks taken. Definitely, definitely. All right. Well, that's a one last question, Gerard, and we're going to let you go. Um, this is from David. He actually, we, we kind of talked about him a little bit earlier in the podcast, but he is a big fan of you, George. He, he loves the podcast and he loves Gmar who that's who he refers to you as. Um, he, cause he's from the Inland Empire as well, the IE as well. And he never loved recruiting until now. And now he just can't get enough. So I think we, uh, made him a recruiting fan, which is cool. Um, and so he had a question for you. Where has the IE come in the last 20 years as far as developing Division One-type players? Is the IE recognized nationally as a constant source of talent? Wow, 20 years. Um, we're going Not that we've been recovering for 20 years, but you know, maybe you know, several last few years, it seems like it's getting more recognition. And there's better high schools because it seems like there's less kids transferring from the Inland Empire to other like private schools in like Orange County, as opposed to staying, staying put where they are, where they were growing up. Well, let's be honest. Twenty years ago, Ryan didn't even know the Inland Empire existed. He was basically <laughs> was Orange County and the coast of LA is basically all the Inland Empire. What is? I still try never somewhere? to go there. I still try not to go. Yeah. There. Like, do they have a wall like Berlin? <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's hard. in terms of being nationally recognized. It's it's completely different, and I think this year is really the year where you're starting to see the schools from way out of nowhere coming in and offering kids from the Inland Empire. And not even necessarily because they've come in and they've done a lot of in-person evaluation. It's, it's almost by word of mouth and just a lot of game tape. I mean, you've had Florida come in and offer four or five guys from the Inland Empire, Oklahoma, probably double digits, Notre Dame. You have all these schools that are nationally BCS-type schools, and you've got the defending national champions coming in and offering a bunch of guys from the Empire. So that in and of itself brings headlines and brings a lot of notoriety. In terms of talent, it's been here for probably a good 10 years at least. Um, you really have seen, you know, Marino Valley, just a lot, the population has boosted a lot. Um, Fontana, I mean, Fontana has three kids right now with, with uh, USC scholarship offers. You know, when I was out in Fontana, it, it was like, yeah, right. You know, you'd get one guy that would, would be recruited and it'd be like a big thing. But I think the one real difference that from, you know, me playing high school ball out here to where, you know, we're looking at today guys like Ronald Powell and, and Anthony Brown and Josh Shirley and, and Jordan James and, and Demetrius Wright, et cetera, et cetera, is that these schools are doing a much better job now getting these kids into college, getting them qualified, getting them early, you know, in their, at the end of their freshman year, sophomore year, and saying, okay, listen, you might have a, a chance to play Division One football. Make sure that you get your core classes right. Make sure that you get test dates. I, mean, a lot, I played with guys in high school that were ballers. They could play. They were good players. I mean, I know because I, I, mean, I saw guys like Chris Claiborne played against guys like that. And so you, you, you have to be able to get these guys qualified and get them into college academically as much as you do athletically. And I think that's where a lot of these schools were slipping up, mainly because there was a lot of new schools too. I mean, the empire, like I said, the population is boosting and you have a lot of new schools. And when you have new schools, you have, you know, new counselors and sometimes people are just not experienced in the administration and they don't know how to handle the athletic program. And so now you're starting to get people that are a little more cognizant of, of what to do and how to get these kids on the right track early. And I think that as well as anything else, has been a big boost and getting the kids into college and the colleges don't have to worry about who they're recruiting. They're going to get into college and they can just focus more on the talent because the talent has kind of been here for a while. Now it's just starting to be recognized. Well, if you look at your just your Cardinal and Gold top 30, I think there's probably five or six guys just glancing at it from the Inland Empire, right? I mean, at least that many. Oh, yeah. No, no. There's Yeah, there's almost 10 guys in there now. So, yeah, I mean, you're talking about, you know, Randall Telfer. I mean, the, li the list goes on and on, and, and it's become, like you said, the transferring and whatnot, that's that's changed. I mean, it's obviously hurt, I think, a lot of the Orange County schools. I mean, modern day used to grab some guys from Corona. Surlot used to basically all their skill players would be from Corona. Now all those guys are staying at Corona Centennial because Corona Centennial is a state champ. And you've got four other schools in Corona that are literally like a stone throws away from Corona Centennial. I mean, you go four blocks to the east and you're at Corona Santiago. You drive north 
past the the what is it the that would be the, the 10 freeway or the 60 free the 60 freeway i think and you got roosevelt high school which is a huge high school four thousand kids i mean it's a gigantic wow. high school and then you go south norco's right there i mean it's just over the hill and so you've got all these schools you've got corona high school it's got demetrius right they've got uh, jordan james they got a kid who's a, who's a sophomore uh that just got a, a, a scholarship offer uh dante wilson uh Devante wilson excuse me um from colorado who's just a sophomore as a defensive end he's gonna be a great player next year so i mean you've got a lot of guys out here and 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 they are kind of staying put but again that has a lot to do with the programs being established you got good coaches out here that's less reason for a kid to actually transfer yeah that's right and i you know this is a neat point i think we want to bring up too I, it helps us when we have our fans out there the people that are on the site going out to high school football games whatever your area is and i would i would definitely recommend if you enjoy college football Go out and check out your local high school and some of the games that they have, especially some of the bigger games. There's, it's a lot of fun, and the atmosphere is cool. And you can see a lot of the Division One prospects at some of these high schools, and people love to come back and report on it and see you know, if they see Ronald Powell play, what kind of game he had on a Friday night. But I, I, know, I know you like to encourage people to do that. We'd like to do that on the podcast. Check out some of your local high schools because it can be a lot of fun, and it's a lot of information out there you can share with the other USC fans on uscfootball.com. Most definitely. I mean, there's going to be a lot of matchups that people get to see. They get to see guys who are folk future Trojans. Maybe they're future Bruins. I mean, maybe they're guys that, you know, USC's going to be playing against in the next couple of years. You get to see them play, you know, before anybody else did. So, I mean, that's kind of fun. There are going to be some great matchups. I mean, like I said, Fontana this year, you're going to have Summit High School playing against Kaiser High School. They're brand-new high schools. Those high schools, I don't think they weren't even open when I was playing high school football there. So, <laughs> So, I mean, they're brand new high schools, and you've got, you know, three kids there that have USC scholarship offers. You're going to see, uh, um, you know, Devon Blackman, who's a 2011 receiver, super smooth receiver, who's a kid that uh, USC is going to be recruiting hard here, and he's going to be going against, you know, Anthony Brown and Josh Shirley at Kaiser, and that's, you know, kind of just one matchup that you're going to be able to see. There's a lot of games that uh, will be going on, not just in Lynn Empire, but, you know, Los Angeles County, city section, and, you know, getting to kind of see some of these kids early, it's, it's, it's fun. And it is a cool atmosphere, and, hey, you don't have to pay 40 bucks like you do at USC. Exactly. But we'll talk about more of that uh, as the season comes along. But hopefully everyone get out there, check out your local high schools, report back to us and let us know. We can't. We go to a lot of games. We can't go to all of them, though, so it would be great. Anyone out there can help us out, check out what they see. Gerard, thanks very much for uh, answering all the questions and talking about the Cardinal and Gold Top 30. And we'll see you tonight at uh, the National Sports Grill. Most definitely. I'll see you guys tonight. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's been a great podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to all of our guests, and thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.